Hello, and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Eloise McClellan, and I'm the editor of Pharma Forum's Deep Dive magazine. This episode is the second of an occasional series on patient engagement, led by clinician, consultant, and patient advocate, Mark Deman. Here, he talks to Johnson & Johnson Global Patient Engagement Leader, Catherine Caparella, Novartis Head of Patient Engagement, Mark Latin, and Estellas Pharma Senior Vice President and Head of Patient Centricity, Anthony Yanni. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean. To find and subscribe, just search The Farm Forum. Hello, thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Mark Duman. I'm uh, a good old pharmacist by, by profession, but no longer by practice. I've spent the last 30 odd years in the wonderful world of patient engagement, which is what we're going to look at today and discuss with our fantastic guests, who I'm really, really delighted to have, have joined us today. Um, there's an awful lot of talk of patient engagement in life sciences. Uh, we hear of patient advocacy, we hear of patient partnership, we hear of all these different patient things. And uh, I've got three amazing guests today who are top of the game, so to speak, in their respective organisations. And uh, as I said, really delighted that they've made some time in their busy schedules to join us and really just talk a little bit about what patient engagement means to them, what their organisations are doing. And I think the focus today is really about what their roles are in terms of leadership, change management, reputation management and stuff. So I'm going to hand over to each of my guests to uh, introduce themselves, tell us uh, who they are, who they work for, and just a little bit of an outline of what they do before we then get into a little bit of a discussion. <clears throat> and I promise that I'll try to behave and not be too challenging, but uh, I might I might go off on one at some point, in which case, as I've said, they'll corral me back to normality. So Mark, can I ask another Mark, albeit with the French spelling, to uh, to kick us off? Sure, Mark. Uh, my name is Mark Putin. I'm the head of patient engagement at Novartis. It's a relatively uh, new function that's been created with a new strategy here at Novartis and really have been focused on setting our vision, our ambitions, our strategy, and really being disciplined about where we can create impact. And I would say a whole lot of my work has been on stakeholder management. Fantastic. Thank you very much. That's a, that's, that's, that's a wonderful introduction. Catherine. I'm Catherine Caparella. I'm the Global Patient Engagement Leader for Johnson & Johnson. Previously, I was doing this role at Janssen in the pharmaceutical sector, and we've expanded the role to also include our device business. And my role is to lead change, to embed patient engagement as a way of working in our organization, and to make sure that we're incorporating patient perspectives from discovery all the way through post-marketing. So I would say it's a change leadership role for sure. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. And Anthony, last but definitely, definitely not least. It's just, it's just the spelling of your surname. I'm sure you get it all the time. Since I was five. No, no worries at all. <laughs> um, so hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thanks uh, uh, for inviting me. So I lead the patient centricity functions at Estellas. And uh, my focus since I've, I've been there is really in creating a couple of things. One, processes that allow us to engage, but also make the information that we gain from our partnership with patients actionable. So there's been a lot of infrastructure 
focus, uh, changing how we make, uh, how we can influence decisions through patient engagement. And then the second part is really focusing in on the culture uh, so that we have some sustainability to the work that we're doing over the long, over a longer period of time, rather than just over the short period. Fantastic. Um, I'm just going to uh, just go back to a thing that Catherine really piqued my interest with, which is that idea of of sharing across divisions. Because um, often, you know, w- with with large organisations, we have our devices and we have our consumer and we have our vaccines, and the roles sometimes sit within one part of it. Just that's been a new change. So moving from Janssen to J and J, what what's what's been thinking about that? Because I think we we offline talked a little bit about I as a patient, which I am in addition to my professional capacity, don't really care as a person with diabetes whether I'm using a device from this division or a drug from another division. Um, what 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 motivated that change? I think that um, the the processes and the tools and the systems that pharmaceutical divisions have been utilizing over the last several years can also be implemented in the device sector. So um, making sure that people are talking to patients early, that um, people understand what it's like to live with the conditions and what patients really want to change and what outcomes they're looking for. That way of operating needs to happen everywhere in the business, not only in pharmaceuticals. And do you think you're going to have to change your job title to include citizen or community engagement because patient and consumer don't necessarily go hand in hand? I think the job title is secondary to everything else. It's the behavior that matters. Are we talking to patients early and often? Do we have a two-way dialogue? Are we incorporating direct patient perspectives into our strategies and decisions? That's what matters most. Fantastic. And Mark, just in Novartis, you know, there's different bits of the Novartis business. Are you covering all of those or are you specifically in in pharma and and oncology? Where, Where do you cover? So in this role, we cover all of Novartis. So that includes the pharmaceutical oncology business, but also the generics business. Okay. And does Novartis, forgive my lack of knowledge, do you still have a consumer business or is that gone somewhere else? We no longer have a consumer (laughs) business. (laughs) Excellent. So you don't need to worry about patients and persons and all the rest of it. Okay. That's fantastic. So often, so thank you for that. Often um, people say to me, oh, we, we, we don't need uh, ahead of global engagement, patient engagement, because we all do patient engagement. And and I wonder, you know, it's everybody's job. Um, how would each of you respond to the idea that, you know, well, you know, patient engagement is what everybody does. We work in the industry. Patients are really fundamental to us. Anthony, you talked a little bit about changing things at Astellas. What, what What's motivated some of the changes uh, you coming on board? Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, where, where your thinking is at and where the organization's thinking is at is in terms of, yes, we need somebody to lead this and to to drive it forward. Yeah, so I think um, you bring up a really important point that I think all of us in our leadership roles uh, have to deal with um, as we as we start to create hopefully positive change within our organizations. And I I think that the responsibility for um, engaging patients, thinking of the patient culturally, is the responsibility of every team member in every company in every geography in the work that they do every day. I think that's something we've been pushing at Astellas is that while patient centricity may lead the activities and create opportunities to remind folks that patient is the focus of all that we do, it is everyone's responsibility to make sure that as they execute, that is the case. But anyone who challenges this, you know, I've used ethics and compliance as an example. Ethics and compliance is a department, a division in almost every company so that they can set out standards and 
and expectations of behavior. But the actual act of ethics and compliance in our work is everyone's responsibility. So I liken patient centricity, patient engagement, whatever we call it within our companies as the same thing. It does take a group, a division, a leader to help have the organization understand what it is and how it could be executed because it's an incredibly new function. Um, but at the end of the day, it is everyone's responsibility to, um, and it's our responsibility to make the organizations aware that everyone has the responsibility to think of the patient and all that we do. Okay. Catherine, how are you doing that at Janssen and now obviously broader at J&J? Are you, are you sort of integrating that across all different, all the geographies, all different departmental functions? You've talked about making sure it's both in the medicines making and medicines taking side of the businesses or indeed the device side. What, what are you doing in terms of your role in making? Is it, is it everybody's job too or is it your, your main responsibility and, and people within your, your division or your directorate? We believe patient engagement is everybody's responsibility. And so my role has been to, and and that of my team and partners, is to make sure that it is happening in the different parts of the business. So whether it's people who are creating, you know, their disease strategies, prioritize the pipeline, do they realize what patients want? Whether it's someone who's creating a target product profile, are they measuring the endpoints that matter to patients? If we're looking at drug delivery, what kind of drug delivery is going to be appropriate for a person living with a certain condition, meaning is it IV, is it oral, et cetera. And then, of course, clinical trial design. You know, we routinely incorporate patients into clinical trial design. We track how often we're changing our clinical trial protocols as a result of that feedback. But I'm not the one doing all this. My team's not the one doing all this. It has to happen within the functions of the company who are responsible for each of those things, such as a clinical trial, such as a target product profile. Okay. Mark, just over to you, just in terms of talking about functions, um, you know, I was asked once by somebody, they said, you know, do you think patient engagement is both in the R&D side in terms of medicines making, but also in the sort of commercial marketing side in terms of medicines taking? I said, I don't know if, you know, where's the investment, where's the focus? And I'm not sure, maybe as a pharmacist and thinking more about the medicines and support and disease awareness, I, I am biased, I'm definitely biased. But do you see it as an equal investment across the whole asset life cycle? Do you think there's a little bit more at the beginning side of the pipeline? Where where do you think either the industry and or Novartis specifically are are putting their bucks? For you? Yeah, really good question. I think it actually varies uh, depending on the company. Uh, there are some companies that have uh, invested greatly in early research and development. Uh, at Novartis, we did what most companies did and invested in patient engagement more towards the commercial side of the life cycle of development. Challenge is, and I'll, I'll quote um, a, a colleague here at Novartis who says, if you only engage patients on the commercial side, it largely is cosmetic. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You need to engage early and make sure that we don't design defects into the medicines. In other words, great medicines that are safe and effective, but don't address the top outcomes that matter to patients. Also, a huge opportunity to engage patients um, in the clinical trial process, as Catherine said, where you can actually speed up the development of a product, which is critically important to people waiting for these life-altering treatments. So you really need to start early, build the foundation as you go into the development, you build the walls, you put the roof on, you do the finishing touches when you come into commercial, and that's where you can have the greatest impact. 
And, and just a question to all three of you, and I think it's maybe more applicable to Anthony, but I'm not sure. But where where do you sit in that structure? So where do you report into? Do you report in each of you report into sort of the 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 CEO or the global head, or are you sitting within communications? Are you sitting within medical affairs? And again, you guys may be all above those structures, which is fine. But I'm just in 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 other companies, it feeds into a medical affairs function. It feeds into different things. Where Anthony, where where do you sit in that sort of getting to the C-level type roles? Yeah, so we we report into uh, the uh, a member of the executive committee inside of Estellas, which is top five uh, leaders, which is uh, the, the particular role that I report into is the chief strategy officer, which spans uh, discovery right through delivery. And our teams are, um, uh, we have teams deployed in research and discovery and development and in, and in delivery areas of the company. Brilliant. So, Catherine, uh, with regard to sort of your reporting structures, we've heard with Anthony, it's into the CSO, the Chief Strategy Officer. How how does it work at, at you know at Janssen and now moving into Johnson Johnson? Has there been a change across that? How's that worked? So, I report into the office of our Chief Medical Officer, and um, I'm in an enterprise function. So, the role of the Chief Medical Officer includes consumer, device, and pharmaceuticals. And that's across the whole asset life cycle. So that's R&D, commercial, everything. Well, the um, group is not doing work across all of those areas, but it is our job to influence patient engagement from discovery through post-marketing across the various sectors. Great. Okay. And Mark? I report into communications. Um, a couple of thoughts I had as I'm listening to both Anthony and Catherine is we're all focused on enterprise-wide roles. And we're all focused on engaging all the different functions of the business. And I think that's key to success. When you look across people in these roles, the ones who tend to have the greatest impacts are the ones that are enterprise focused and integrating all the functions in the organization. I think it's a real key driver in success. If you're in a function that is not enterprise wide, it becomes increasingly more difficult to create the kind of influence we're talking about. So that that's a really interesting point, I think, about you know being enterprise wide and and making sure we have impact. How how do each of you measure that impact? You know, is it in terms of corporate reputation? Is it in terms of you know better products? What are you looking? What are your KPIs and uh, you know and impact measures around knowing that you're making a difference with patient impact? So Catherine, we've been talking a little bit about the sort of leadership role and patient engagement, but it's it's not just that this has started. This has been going on for some time and interested to know what you've been doing at J&J. I agree, Mark. I think in addition to leading change, I see change already happening. And for example, we've been routinely engaging patients in clinical trial design for the last three to four years um, with over 3,700 patients and caregivers from 32 countries providing input across all disease areas into clinical trial design. So there's the patient voice program in place and all of the trials that have gone through patient voice have made at least one change to the trial and half of them have made a protocol change. So I see us transitioning from getting started to making this more systematic. I think that's amazing. It's, it's a great example and nice to see quantification as, as we discussed. You know, there's a real issue about you know measurement and how we put, put some, some metrics around that. So that's great to hear. 
So I'm going to hear for the other people, but I think what I'd like to then focus a little bit is, is, is on let's move from process and numbers of meetings and numbers of people we talk to, to trying to look at impact on device, on medicines, on, on, on improved healthcare, better healthcare systems, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think we are having spent, like many of us, a long, long time in this. I think the question is, what is the ROI? I prefer to call it the return on engagement. So I think I might come back to that question in a minute. but. Um, Mark, can I hand over before asking and answering the same question? How are you guys looking at, at measurement? Sure. So we're um, looking at it in a very similar way to Catherine, measuring the different points of engagement. And in our organization, we've identified five points along the continuum of development where you have a set of specific activities, five to eight activities. So first, you measure whether you're doing them. Second is you measure the quality of them. And then you move into outcomes and impact. So can we show that we're reducing amendments? Are we speeding up recruitment? Are we improving retention? Are we getting indicators that are important to patients into labeling? Are we bringing that into the delivery system so that somebody living with a disease can say, this product will address the outcome that matters to me? So a variety of different measurements in place. We're still pretty new, and I think this is a relatively nascent area of patient engagement, but a really, really critical one. And one thought I want to add to that is I think we also need to look at some of those qualitative uh, elements, especially if you're just in the early stages of setting up your patient engagement with an industry. And I call them the standing ovations. It's when something happens that's sort of like a standing ovation when you're in a theater. Um, so a couple of examples are when the senior leadership team is speaking externally and they're communicating the patient engagement strategy. When you have multiple people asking for patient engagement assistance, huge opportunities to start to look at what are those standing ovations and actually count them, um, especially in the early days. But at the end of it, you've got to get to the measurements and you've got to start looking at the impact and outcome measures, which is something we don't like to do because at the end of the day, we often have not complete control. And being relatively new to industry, one of the things I've seen is we only like to measure what we can control. And if it's only what we control, it's harder to get at the impact and outcome. I think we have to break that cycle in patient engagement. Okay. And Estella, what are you doing, Anthony? Yeah, I, I, I really agree with uh, Catherine and Mark. Um, I think we look at it in two ways uh, that were just touched upon, qualitative and quantitative measurement. And I can't emphasize enough, and I've been I've been talking about this quite a bit, and that is we have to measure as, as a patient centricity or patient engagement function. If we want to be, if we want to have sustainability, we have to show impact. And it can't just be all qualitative. We have to approach the quantitative, which does make people a little bit uncomfortable because it's a new function and there is some unknowns around it. So what we look at is qualitatively, um, are we improving decision-making? And that can be obtained clearly from the internal customers that we're helping in research or in the clinical trial space. Um, is is decision-making more efficient? Um, are we shortening some of the things that Mark talked about, clinical trials? And then the quantitative piece is really, it's difficult, right? Because it's a long game we're in. Research uh, to, to launch is a 10-year, hopefully less moving forward, but a, it's, a long, it's a long process. So we have to be patient, but we also have to look at 
financial measurements as we move forward, decision-making regarding portfolio. Um, we need to be able to go back and measure how that impact of, patient, of the patient piece um, improved decision-making and whether or not the decisions were in ref on reflection, the, the correct decisions. I think we have to expand and measure the amount of internal customers that we're supporting. Has that increased geographically across the world? Have we had more programs and more divisions come back and say, this was really helpful. We want to have more of this. These things are measurable, um, but they take a lot of, uh, as I said earlier, uh, infrastructure change to be as accurate as possible. And um, we, we also have to, uh, internally, we have to measure our own costs and make sure that what we're delivering is efficient, makes sense, there's a return. And the most important piece that um, both Catherine and Mark talked about is what is our impact on patients? Have we delivered better services, better care? Have we transitioned from just delivering a medicine to delivering care? Treatment to care is something I focus in on quite a bit because the patient in the real world setting might need a particular treatment, but they also have symptoms associated with their disease, but not directly linked to it that need to be addressed. So are we understanding the behavioral drivers of care in the real world setting? And are we delivering more appropriate comprehensive care? And I think patient engagement, patient centricity is a big part of that future. I think I'm, also, sorry, Mark, I think no, that please, go. we need to, or, you know, a couple of things we've done are we look at individual engagements and we say, well, what was the engagement? What feedback did patients provide? What changes were made and what was the impact of those changes? And so we've, you know, captured a lot of that information so that we can um, explain some of that before we have some of the metrics down the line. But then there are also metrics that are starting to happen because we've been at this for a while. So for example, in one of the clinical trials, after changes were made, the team said, we've exceeded our enrollment goals and particularly in recruiting diverse populations. And so that team was able to believe and talk about their success, which helps us replicate that success elsewhere. And then in another situation, where patients got involved in device design early, um, at the beginning, one of the early trials, there were 200 complaints. And then four trials later, these were small trials, these were in the early phases, those complaints went from 200 down to two. So you can see that when we're co-creating with patients, whether you like the word or not, um, it definitely ha can have an impact on things like recruitment and things like complaints in a trial. If I, Mark, I if I could just jump in please. here really quickly, because I think uh, Catherine brings up such an important point when we talk about devices. And it goes back to an earlier point um, or uh, issue you raised, and that is the language around the patient as a patient and the patient as a consumer. And devices are a perfect example of that, right? Because before, earlier, before the patient's patient engagement functions were um, a little bit more established, the device would be created and then the patient would be a consumer and they would try to get the device into the hands of the patient in a competitive fashion. But now Catherine's point, uh, the work that she's doing is so important because you're, you're engaging earlier to understand the applicability of the device as it's being developed before it's launched so that we can better understand how it satisfies the patient need before the patient becomes the consumer. So I just wanted to make that point because I think it's such an important example of what patient engagement and patient centricity uh, can, can, can do. 
Yeah, and I think you've touched on a key point. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar. Back in 1969, there was a lady called Arnstein who brought up the Arnstein Ladder of Participation. And she talked about that uh, consultation is tokenistic. You know, here's the, here's the product, here's the device, here's the idea I have, what do you think about it, please? And what she's saying is you really need to, as much as a lot of people don't like the word, we need to think a little bit about, you know, that co-creation and really not so much starting with a blank piece of paper, but saying this is an idea. Can you please give us give us your insights? And I just wanted to ask on that, you know, there's a move across the industry to begin to not just have ad boards, advisory boards that say, what do you think of this, but actually begin to set up uh, strategic patient councils, advisory panels, leadership councils. Is is that something that your organizations have done, are doing, are thinking of doing? We have them in place for a handful of our disease areas, and we're really glad that we do. Um, and the uh, standing advisory boards or, at, or patient councils um, have been in place for, depending, for a year, year and a half. Some prior to COVID were able to meet about twice a year in person and then um, remotely in between those in-person meetings. And they're set up to represent a specific therapeutic area. So there are different diseases within that therapeutic area that are represented on the patient council. And then each interaction has an agenda. They provide the feedback. And then the beginning of the next meeting talks about how that feedback was acted on or not. And it's really, I think, helpful to driving trust, to driving two-way dialogue. I think that's, I, I really enjoy to, you know, the opportunity to kind of work with people over time. Brilliant. And and Estelis Novartis, are you involved in that sort of stuff as well? We have a, a number of them in play, one that's actually almost um, 10 years old. And again, find them extraordinarily valuable, uh, but I would say they have limitations. Um, they're, they're an interesting methodology that can bring a lot of insights and information to a company, but you need to use mixed methodologies. I think we've all seen um, the biases that can come in a focus group or an ad board, um, and you've got to be careful with that. So I think really the methodology needs to be aligned with the question and answer that you're seeking. And more often than not, you need a set of mixed methodologies. So I think, yes, they're great, um, but I say yes and. Okay. And Estelis, where are you? I mean, I think you're, Anthony, you're sort of, dare I say, new on the journey a little bit. Is that right? Or am I just, is, is that true? Well, I, it, at Estelis, we've been at, uh, at this for about two years prior, I was at um, Santa Fe for 10 um, in this space. So um, we do have a couple of um, different approaches. We have the patient, certainly the, the panels and the engagement activities over a long period of time. I do agree this has to be repetitive and, and, and um, continuous. It can't just be a singular uh, activity. We also are in developing, developing internal advisory boards as well, because I think engagement is a complicated thing when you start to talk about diversity across geographies. And it's a, often a very regional uh, perspective. Uh, there's certainly legal and compliance rules in each new geography that our patient partnerships team that's in, in charge of engaging has to become familiar with before we go into new geographies. But also our internal teams in those geographies have feedback for us that I find to be incredibly helpful. So we're putting together internal global 
um, advisory panels so that we can be sure that we're not ignoring or not paying attention to some of the some of the voices outside of the the main markets. Fantastic. So um, I'm keeping an eye on time. Don't worry. But there's sort of two questions that, that are coming up for me. One would be, I just want to unpick a little bit about job titles and go back to that. You know, and I know that Mark and others will smile because, you know, I have a bee in my bonnet about chief patient officer. So I want to un- unpluck that just a little bit. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you each to think a little bit about what advice would you give to colleagues? You know, what, what would you say you must do or not in inverted commas? And what would you say don't? So, you know, what are what opportunities and pitfalls, you know, looking at your your global roles? But um, let me let me just touch on this this chief patient officer thing. You know, we have chief medical officers, we have chief strategy officers we've heard about already. Um, none of you are called a chief patient officer. Servier uh, have a chief patient officer. We have a chief patient officer at Vertex. What, what's what's your views on that? Uh, is is yeah? I'm not gonna. <laughs> I said my piece. What, what what's your views? You're all smiling. It's lucky. I'd love to actually have this on the. I mean, it's an audio podcast, but just to tell everybody, you know, I feel like I'm on a radio holding up something to the mic, but everybody's got a massive smile on their face that I've brought this topic up. So I'm happy to kick it off. I, I think the title is a really interesting symbol. And I think we get hung up on the symbolism of the title. But I'll go back to something that both Catherine and Anthony said, and that is, at its heart, we're all change agents. This is a new discipline that is really relatively nascent within the biopharmaceutical sector. We're implementing it. It's incredibly important, but we're change agents. Look at all those chief titles. Those people are not change agents. Chief legal chief operation, chief financial, they're not change agents. We are. At some point, the change is going to be complete. The cultural mindset is going to shift and the health ecosystem is going to shift as a result. And then you may see us all being chief patient engagement officers. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder what the chief innovation officer would say to that. But uh, yeah, I get your point. I get your point. (laughs) Anthony. Oh, boy. Um, Well, um, yeah, I'll I agree with both uh, both marks. Um, I, I I don't um, you know I don't focus too much in on on titles, and um, I think maybe because this is early, and you know I I can speak for myself, but I'm sure Catherine and Mark would agree. I I, I think 90% of my job is change management, is instituting new ideas in a traditional approach, so that we can in the future have patient. I'll use centricity because that's what I call it, but engagement. As, as a normal function, so normal that it would be unthinkable to develop a new medicine without it. So um, right now, I think we're all focused in on trying to make sure everyone in the organizations engage patients, that they feel like it's whether you're an accountant or whether you're in environmental services, you're working hard so that we can develop a new solution for a patient. I, I don't want to be, for me, I, I don't want to be isolated as the person who somehow separates myself from all of the work everyone else is doing with the patient because we're not there yet. Um, I, I, I don't want titles to be in the way of progress. And that's sort of how I see it. I may not, folks may disagree with that, but that, that's just uh, my simplistic view of it. Catherine? Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. I think that um, global patient engagement leader, which is my title, makes sense for the role that I'm focused on, which is leading change. 
and making sure that we're embedding patient perspectives and engaging directly with patients, you know, across those seven points in time from discovery through post-marketing. So chief patient officer is fine. I think if that's the title that an organization has chosen to use, that's that's fine with me. Um, I, I think it's if we spend too much time worrying about titles, um, that's not where we really want to put our energy. So putting aside titles for a minute, what about experience? Should that chief patient officer, should the head of patient engagement globally or whatever be a doctor? Should they be a patient? Should they? What should their skill set be? Does that, does that matter? I think it's the ability to lead change. I think it's the ability to align people in different functions toward a common objective. And um, a variety of backgrounds can have the ability to do that. I think it's also working in uncertain circumstances. And um, paving new ways, paving new solutions, developing new tools and resources that haven't existed before. Um, and so I think those are some of the traits and skills that matter. And whether you're a physician, a business person, someone who came from healthcare compliance, that none of that matters as long as the change can happen and the vision is there. I would agree. Change agent and recognizing that because we are all involved in the creation of life-altering medicines, doing great things for people living with disease, doesn't mean we understand the lived experience. Yeah. Um, do you think as, you know, three tops of the tree, so to speak, there's enough networking between yourselves and other individuals? Do you think as a new discipline, there is a, for lack of a better term, a CPO, a Heads of Patient Engagement Network? Is, is, does that exist formally, informally? Does it need to exist? Would you guys and gals like to talk a little bit more and share your war wounds, but also your successes? I think collaborating with people in similar roles is very helpful. I also think it's important not to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's PFMD, there's the National Health Council, there's Paradigm. There are wonderful how-to guides, tools, resources, um, and I think that working together toward the common objective of embedding patient voice always is really important. So um, we do speak with others who are in similar similar roles to ours um, to really share what's working, to really address challenges. And I think that happens across a variety of different functions, not the least of which are the patient engagement leaders. Right. Mark? I completely agree with Catherine. I think there are a lot of great opportunities currently. Um, but what I expect we will see is as this discipline evolves, you'll start to see associations follow suit. Um, you'll start to see accreditation, certification, um, start to see university degrees. I think that is still a ways away. Um, but similar to what you see with medical societies, legal societies, I can anticipate um, associations of patient engagement professionals. Yeah, I think I've seen something around, you know, in, in the States, you're you're much more focused on PX, on patient experience, and there's accreditation and certification around that. Um, but as we say, there's something about do we become experts or do we make sure that everybody is in inverted commas, some degree an expert in that? Um, just aware of time, I'm just going to ask you, each of you to sum up, what would be your closing statement in terms of a, a one do and one don't for colleagues working in, in the same function uh, globally, um, across pharma, across medical devices, across consumer? Anthony, go on. I'll start with you. 
<laughs> so you start with me when it's the tougher question, right? But I'm laughing when you start the whole conversation. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I, I got it. Um. So the don't, the don't is uh, my advice for don't is don't accept anything less than what would be impactful because I think there's an people have this existential fear when you start something new and oftentimes you compromise away value. So don't accept anything less than what will be impactful in the work and creating uh, of patient partnerships in the work that we do. And the do is understand that your work is change management. Patience and persistence is going to be critical. Um, there's going to be barriers. There's going to be, you know, you have to put your armor on. You have to accept that there's going to be some difficulties. You have to be persistent and you have to stay focused. Excellent. Mark, you're laughing away there, which is one advantage of seeing you on camera. Come on, what's, what's, your, what's your do and don't? So my don't um, harkens back to um, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. And years ago, I worked with him in the um, nonprofit patient space to do a um, similar version for the Philanthropic Society. And a key element was focus on what you are passionate about, what you can do better than anyone else, and where you have an economic engine to support it. A lot of people come into patient engagement incredibly passionate, really want to do the best possible work. And they sometimes forget to align with the business, which is our economic engine. Critical piece. And as a former patient advocate, industry and the patient perspectives are so closely aligned right now. You can do both. But if you forget to align, you're going to have some real problems. In terms of the do, stakeholder management. You know, as we put together our new strategy at Novartis, we went on a roadshow and collectively my team and I presented to approximately 35,000 people at Novartis. That kind of patience, tenacity uh, pays off. Uh, and Anthony, in the part I was laughing at, is completely correct. At times, you're going to put it on your armor. If you're a change agent, you're going to take hits and you've got to be prepared for it. Catherine, last words from you, if I may. I think that um, the advice I would have is work within the culture of your organization. You know, some people talk about whether patient engagement should be centralized or decentralized. And I think it matters more how your company works. In our case, we're decentralized. So we have people engaging with patients who sit in a variety of different departments. That doesn't matter. What matters is they're engaging with patients and they're doing it within the group where they work in the way that makes sense for that department. And to me, that's more sustainable. So work within the culture. Don't get caught up on centralized versus decentralized. And I think the thing to avoid is avoid fragmentation. And don't be so um, gung-ho about your role that you run off and develop all these things that might already exist. Let's leverage what's already there because that drives change faster. Fantastic. So um, I'm delighted in terms of timing that we've we've kept to time uh, what i've heard a lot of a lot of peas in this conversation today you know we've heard about patience we've just heard about passion and persistence we've heard a little bit i think alluding to profit we've heard a little bit about policy and payers so i think i'm going to go off and uh, dust off my alphabet and try and look for some stuff from other things but um 
that that was absolutely amazing. And as I said at the beginning, not just delighted to have you here, but really excited at the insight. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of comments on the P podcast. Um, but um, thank you very much. And um, I look forward to it being published. No, I'm playing it. I'm playing it now. So um, just thank you to all of you. That concludes episode 46 of the Pharma Forum podcast and our second in a series on patient engagement with Mark Duman. Thanks to all of this week's contributors, Catherine Caparella, Mark Bittin and Anthony Yanni for taking part. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean. To find and subscribe to us, just search for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up to receive daily or weekly pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins or follow us on Twitter where you can find us at Pharma Forum. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.